makes you such a threat? We choose the right to be who we are. We know the difference between the reality of freedom and the illusion of freedom. There's a way to live with Earth and a way not to live with Earth. We choose the way of Earth. It's about power. Joshua. Greetings and greetings and good day and welcome, my relatives. I shake your hands with a good heart. It's good for all of us to be here. This is First Voices Radio and Tioka's and Ghost Horse sending you greetings and strength from the highlands of the Asopus or what Americans call the Catskill Mountains. Regardless, it is the highlands of the Asopus in the lands of the Muncie-speaking Lenape. This is an all-native hosted, all-native produced First Voices Radio. And Liz Hill, the producer of First Voices Radio. You can hear us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Buzzsprout, Spotify, as well as firstvoicesindigenousradio.org for archive downloading and listing. Our guest today, Marley Shabala, has, is Dene, Arizona, and she talks to us in various styles, as you will hear, as indigenous peoples often do. We cover much ground about what's happening in New Mexico, Arizona, that Four Corners area that they call Desert Southwest. And we talk about nuclear. We talk about the treatment of indigenous peoples. We talk about indigenous peoples as we are and our experience with those who treat us as if we don't matter. Treat us as if we don't belong here. Treat us as if we are the second class, third class this is why we're on reservations. Even if you got rid of reservations, it would still be the same treatment. Maybe it stirs something up in you. Maybe it stirs something up in you, no matter what color you are. But indigenous peoples, we know because we experience it. You can call it whatever you want, but the lack of energy, the lack of consciousness about what is really happening to the land is what matters most. And so, therefore, we talk. And I'd like to welcome Marley Shabala to First Voices Radio. Oh, yeah. And I um, said that my label is Marley Shabala, but who I am is um, where the water flows together. And that's where, that's my mom's people. And, and you know, that's the, on the maternal side. And on my father's side, um, my clan is frog. 
And my mom um, was um, Deneh and my dad was um, Ashui, Zuni. So um, I just wanted to say that and, and, and say thank you for inviting me onto your show and, and to talk about uranium because that's an issue that has faced the um, Navajo people ever since World War II. And it was created by the um, federal government in, its, um, in, in World War II to fight. And at that time, our people didn't know how it was going to be used until they found out how the um, bombs had been dropped on Hiroshima and um, Unisaki. And it really affected some of them, especially the elders. And um, they, um, they, you know, they said no one had told them that's how the uranium was going to be used. And all they said was, well, what they remember being told is that, you know, it was going to provide employment. There was going to be jobs. And that's always the, um, the carrot, you know, at the end of the stick is um, jobs. And in um, the non-Indigenous world, when, when, um, when you're talking about jobs, a lot of times it's... Um, it's, it, it has to do with people's ability to be able to go on vacation, you know, um, to, um, to go on a, on a shopping spree, to, um, especially during the holidays, you know, they're coming up, what, what they call, the, what is called the holidays, you know, Halloween, Thanksgiving, and, and Christmas, and New Year's. And, and throughout the, the year, there are just all these different types of um, holidays, even Easter, but all of them are, are, are commercial. And what I'm getting at is back to the jobs. For, um, for since forever, the, um, no one really talked about environmental racism. That, that, um, that didn't exist. And there also was a time when there were no environmental journalists. And you have to go back to that time period within history and, and within um, people who are involved in communications like you and I, we, we spend our time looking at history and how it keeps repeating itself and, and looking at how to provide solutions within the history because that's just the cycle of life. It's going to continue like that and, it's, and it de- depends on how you live that life. And so what we're talking about here is, is that, that kind of thought, indigenous thought. And we, we understood that before, um, uh, before 1492 or whatever the um, time period is that they said that um, there was an invasion of our homeland. And history did not start then uh, for us. Our, our history has always been here since forever since the existence of the people that came from across the ocean, their claim of how long they existed. And, and we, didn't, we didn't go over there, you know, and claim their land and, and tell them, you know, they didn't exist until we saw them, we didn't discover them. And even that kind of thinking about our homeland has been diluted. And, and that's why your question about why do our people don't, um, don't talk about maybe um, about uranium 
mining and and how very dangerous it is and that um, globally um, they're talking about um, what were they calling it now? They're, oh, they're calling it clean energy. Yeah. Um, um, nuclear nuclear energy is being referred to as clean energy because it's not like they compare it to fossil fuels. And of course, if you can compare it to fossil fuels, I mean, that's comparing apples and oranges, you know, um, they're, they're, they're just totally different. You can't compare them. And, and fossil fuels, the damage by fossil fuels to the environment, which also damages not just the, we're part of the environment. Um, the animals are part of the environment. The air is part of the environment. I mean, it's like, it's so logical. But so when the question was asked whether humans had created climate change, which is now climate damage, you know, within the indigenous world, you know, it was like, I mean, it was, it was a bittersweet joke, but, you know, we, everyone couldn't help laughing that, you know, how can they even ask that question? Of course it was created by, you know, humans. And um, that's my cat. <laughs> anyway, yeah. um, anyways, so there's, there's that issue of, of, of why we're not talking about uranium. And a lot has to do with that. It's not in our backyard. It's not even in our front yard. Here on Navajo Nation, it's, it's all around us. There's a community called Church Rock, New Mexico. And just past it is um, a smaller community. And, and they have been trying to get awareness of the dangers of um, abandoned uranium mines, of the abandoned uranium waste. And they live right next to a very large mound of uranium waste. And every year, they're, they're called the Red, Red um, Road Pond Community. And um, every year, they have a, a walk from their little homesteads down to where there was a, um, um, a huge release of like um, thousands of gallons of, of toxic uranium waste. It was liquid, and it went into the Rio Grande. And for the longest time, there was no, no discussion of that major um, uranium tragedy, of that catastrophe. And, and I know this because I, I'm a member or I was a member of the Society of Environmental Journalists, SEJ. And I brought it up at our annual SEJ meeting and, and wanted to have a workshop on it. And people were not aware of it. These were other journalists. And, and that's another answer to your question about why our own people don't, don't, don't talk about it is because they're not informed. It's difficult to talk about an issue if, if you're not informed about it. And for our people, um, it's always been, we're, we're pretty busy people, you know. The outside world has this stereotype of us, you know, as... Um, as um, alcoholics, you know, um, uh, uh, domestic violence, um, perpetrators of domestic violence, victims, um, boarding school victims, um, and, and whatever Hollywood portrayed us as, you know, very menacing. Uh, 
we don't smile, you know, we, uh, and we, we, we don't, sh- we're not supposed to show emotion. All of those stereotypes are what we know. And, and so we're, we're bombarded with all of that. And, and a lot of us don't realize that when we're, when, especially as children. And so what I'm getting back at is the, is the um, total failure by elected officials within Indian country to, to inform, their, inform the people. I don't want to say their people, you know, that term has always bothered me, their people, you know, Um, you know, to inform the people that they, they're the public servants, you know, elected officials are called public servants for a reason. It's because they don't own those elected positions. That is, is not something that they can ever claim ownership over. And therefore there are rules in being in that position that people are not informed about also. And so people aren't informed that, hey, your government has a responsibility to keep you informed. Because then if you are informed, you are participating in government. And there has to be within Indian country um, and with, with COVID, that brought that, you know, right into up, you know, into our faces especially our elected officials. So they're scrambling around trying to set up all these, com- all these communication systems, which showed, you know, what I just said. You know, they, they, they weren't informing the people. If they were informing the people, they would have been able to immediately communicate to the people about COVID, about weather. But they don't even... For some reason, I don't know why our elected officials don't think like that. I mean, these are indigenous elected officials that speak their language, you know, and, and you know, therefore would, and the way they talk about the language and the culture, <clears throat> you, you believe that they, that they really believe in those principles. But if they believed in those principles, they would keep the people informed. And it, it is part of, it's part of our indigenous history. I mean, we did not go into our homes and close the bedroom door, you know, or pick up our food and go into our rooms and close the door and eat behind closed doors and not at a table together. Hmm. Where we all talked, where we shared everything. And, and in, in the way, there was within each of the of the groups of people, you know, our our um, our clans and, and some of the our indigenous relatives refer to these as bands, you know, and, and we have different ways of referring to to how our government was set up. And in that government, there was a person that was made responsible for gathering whatever was happening within the community. And whatever was happening in the community was talked about. And, and that could have been incest, you know, or that could be that, hey, you know, um, there's there's a, a young people over here and they're going to be getting married. You know, we're going to have a celebration or, hey, it's planting season. We need some help over here or we're, we're harvesting and, and whoever comes will we'll get some of the benefits. You know, we're having a hunting party or war is coming. It, it was important to keep the people informed. We understood that just like we understood the impact we have on climate, 
that it, it, it comes full circle back to us because we are part of the environment. And, and that's, that has to do with, with our history, not stories, not legend, not fables, um, but our history. And our history existed before 1492, and it continues to exist now. Each time that we have a ceremony, the prayers that are made in there are about our history, how we came forth, who are the holy ones. And all of these are connected to your question of why our people don't talk about uranium is because they don't have any information. We, we shouldn't hold our people accountable for their lack of knowledge. We need to hold our elected officials in Indian country responsible for this lack of information, of critical health information, life and death information. That's what we're talking about. We're talking, when you're talking uranium, you're talking cancer. I went to that little community over the years, and over the years, their asthma or their breathing problems, coughing, turns into asthma. Next thing you know, it's, it's cancer. And the little walk that they have is slower and slower because they have to wait for each other or they're walking slower. I know that there is uranium in other parts of the country. And it's devastating. And... What the World War Two, um, the wars? How long have they have they passed? And and the federal government keeps holding hearings, and and for some goofy reason, <laughs> our elected officials in Indian country where they are impacted by uranium promote that by thanking the federal government for coming out and being here, and holding a hearing and listening to the people for what they did to the people. Their decision, their total decision to come out here to the Navajo Nation and just lie to the people, not tell the people we're giving you jobs to be good paying jobs, but eventually it's going to kill you and it's going to be a horrible death. It's going to be painful and you're going to suffer and your children are going to be born defective. And it's not going to only do that, but it's going to go into your ground. It's going to just kill the plants so that when your sheep and your cows go out there to eat the plants, they're going to start losing their wool or their, their, their leather. Their babies are going to be born defective. And you're not going to be able to eat them. And this is going to happen to, that's the, the cycle of life of plants. And these contaminated areas are there for forever, basically, everyone's lifetime. And there's, there's no real solution to 100% safety levels of, of storing the nuclear waste. And for a while there, the federal government was actually using it for weapons. And, and um, the, um, the soldiers, the military that were in the tanks that had these um, weapons that were made from uranium waste, they're suffering from radiation. And the federal government didn't tell them. So it has to do with jobs. It has to do with information. And, and our elected officials have to be held accountable for that. 
you know, you see them, I'm sure, you know, with their pictures. I mean, we, we see pictures of President Nez and Vice President Lives are up there, you know, smiling with the federal officials. And, and he had them come out to Church Rock, to that little community that I was telling you about. But his press releases, were they, were they the testimonies of, the, of his people? Of, not his people, but of the people there, that community? No. It was the statements of the federal officials and him. And maybe, I think, one or two. And, and that press release goes out to the Associated Press. It goes out to Indian Country Today. Do they fact check that press release? If they fact checked that press release, they would have called the individuals that were named in that press release from that community and, and asked them about how many people gave statements. Are there any written statements? Can they provide that? You've said a lot and maybe generated a lot of questions. You've mentioned other areas of the country that in Native people who at the times when in the 40s and 50s and even into the 60s and early late 50s when the nuclear sites first started up for electricity and thinking about power given out to the to the Diné nation as yourself, you know, that's basically still waiting for power in various places that are so remote. We talked about the lack of news amongst our people, and yet <clears throat> the officials behaving as if they didn't want to bite the hand that feeds them and as they represent the Navajo or any elected official in Indian country is that they are also kowtowing and kowtowing to what the federal government wants to hear. If you're a good Indian, then we'll give you something. But if you're bad Indians talk about bad things that our government has done to Native people, then you're not going to get your fill. So I'm thinking about how that affects most people because we grew up <clears throat> with the activism of uranium is there, let's let's do something about it. But now, as you mentioned, COVID has come into play and it's one shock after the other shock and the numbing out. And so, okay, nuclear industry is is an old thing. We don't want to talk about that. We want to talk about COVID, whatever is right now. But yet the peak of it was what, 120 nuclear reactors that were in 2021. There were 93 operating commercial nuclear reactors in the United States. And people don't know the, from the underground to the process of how they get to, like you say, the weapons and even the nuclear facilita facilities around the U.S. Could you talk about why we don't hear that anymore? I know that um, years ago, and I'm talking about years ago, I was invited by the New York Times to be part of a group of environmental journalists that went to, um, we were mainly in Sweden. And, and at that time, they were talking about, about climate change and what, it was going, what was going to happen. And what was talked about it actually is happening now where you're seeing the ocean rise and the huge catastrophic ocean disasters created by the ocean and by hurricanes. And while we were there in, in Sweden and also Punta Cana, but mainly in Sweden, there was a discussion um, because at that time, Sweden said that they were going to go into clean energy. And I remember I was talking about how they were talking about nuclear energy is clean energy. And that's what they were saying. 
And so there was a group of us that journalists that were were given the opportunity to address the um, Sweden officials. And my question was, where are they going to get the raw materials for the nuclear energy? And they didn't answer my question. They just went around about and they didn't answer the question. I couldn't do a follow-up question that you know, they answered it. So the next journalist was asked the question and then the next journalist. And then the journalist from Ireland was you know, given the opportunity to ask a question. And he told the um, Swedish officials that they didn't answer my question. And he made them answer the, my question. And they said that it was going to come from the United States within Indian country. So it doesn't matter how many reactors are going to be out there, even if there's one. The raw material, they're coming back for the rest. They never, and, and if anyone ever thought that they never would, you know, that's what I mean. While our elected officials have zero, zero business or zero waste of time to be even considering that they have to be nice to federal officials because they don't want to bite the hand that feeds them while watching their people die and suffer from cancer, from radiation and babies, unborn babies and mothers and the livestock. I mean, these are within within the NEV way of life. Everything I'm talking about is have you have ceremony for and and all of life and and therefore when you have ceremony you do all you can to continue that life so that's what i mean it's just mind-boggling how our indigenous elected officials within indian country would consider that kind of reasoning because of the of the fatal consequences of uranium mining and milling This is First Voices Radio. My name is T. Okerson, Ghost Horse, and you've been listening to Marley, Marley Shibala of the Dene and Zuni Nations about nuclear reactors, nuclear radiation, and a way of life experiencing that danger.
Welcome back to First Voices Radio. My name is Teokasin Ghost Horse, and you were listening to the first half of Marley Shibala, who's Dene, and Ashiwi, or Zuni, is an investigative journalist, photographer, videographer, and blogger. In the Dene way, she is from the Water Flows Together clan, her mother's clan, and born from Chail, or Frog clan, which is her father's clan. Her mom is from the Lake Valley, New Mexico which is an eastern part of the Navajo Nation and next to the Chaco Canyon, New Mexico. Her father is from the Pueblo of Zuni, New Mexico. Her hometowns are Lake Valley and Zuni. Marley Shabala's notebook is her website where she provides current news coverage of the Navajo government and Navajo communities on and off the Navajo reservation. She also produces Navajo Nation environmental news and political analysis of the Navajo government and legislative process. And for more information, D-I-N-E resources and infocenter.org. Again, D-I-N-E resources and infocenter.org. And now back to the second half of Marley Shabala's website. And then we're going to ask questions about what is Indigenous Peoples Day and land acknowledgement from maybe some people that you know as Indigenous Peoples. I mean, talk about the fatal consequences. I, I do know that the numbers are just, again, it's the shock, the shock and awe, if you can, if you can say that, is that we don't want to face that because, I don't know, it's kind of like we lost our gumption to do anything about it because we've been dumbed down. Um, the, the inception of more technology to take us away from the earth. So even our languages are more geared to be codified within English so that English, and so our reasoning is changing, our logic is changing. It's less ceremonial and more ritualistic. And maybe there's not so much an appreciative language which is embedded in our original languages. In addressing uh, what you were thinking about, we didn't lose, you know, our way of life. It was it was ripped from us. And we know this and we always knew this. And that's why we never gave up talking about our children getting kidnapped and tortured and killed. And even even our the women, the one the ones who 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 give life. And and there there are, are reasons why. And those reasons are at that time period where we were at with um, the non-Indigenous relatives that came over here. When they came over here, what they were doing over in their country, they they were torturing each other. The, The Black Plague was happening, the Inquisition, the Crusades. I mean, they were killing each other over religion. That was their mindset. That's how they they are. They still are. You see it with the Supreme Court and their decision that's totally based on Christianity. And so be 
very careful about words. It promotes the idea. There was no loss of language. There was no loss of our way of life. It was it was ripped away, literally ripped away from us. Yes. When we saw our children being ripped away, that our children are the connection. They knew that. They knew to separate the children from the mother. They knew that relationship that we understood. They know that. We should never underestimate them because they've been doing this ever since they were over in their homeland to their own relatives, to their own people. So when they came here, I mean, we were already less than with the doctrine of discovery, also with, you know, the church behind them again, Mm -hmm. manifest destiny. And so in identifying what, in identifying the warfare that was done against us, that's how we do the healing. Indian countries elected officials should be funding 100%, 150% those programs for the language, for the way of life, farming, horses, livestock, water. Each clan had a responsibility and an expertise. And, 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 and in knowing our land again, we're going to protect it. It's like when you go into your home, you look around to make sure everything is there and you know when something is missing or when something has been added. And you only want good things for your home. And that's all we've ever wanted. And so when our indigenous relatives came and refused to leave, they saw over here what they referred to in the biblical sense as the Garden of Eden. And it was. We took care of it because we had all this understanding and respect. How could it not be that way? That is our way of life, and we still believe it. And whether or not some of us believe it, we are, we, we are born who we are. We are blessed to be born indigenous. Because all we need is a, is a, is a, little, a little flame. We're smoldering. There's a little smoldering down there. You can't really see it. But if you blow on it, you see it. And you put a little bit of, of kindling on it and a little fire grows and you put a little bit more and you're not going to throw a big old log on. You're going to take your time. And that's what we have to do. Our elected officials have to do. Our indigenous elected officials. That's the solution. Our story is that whatever is within our homeland, this homeland that we have here, that everything that we need, anything that we need to to continue life is here. Our government, we had, we had, and and our our government was not not about um, not about campaigning. It, it was based on on our beliefs, and that uh, leaders back then they were they were um, they were selected by in, in a certain way, you know, ceremonially, and. And so as, as those types of leaders, they were given, they, they were educated in the knowledge of different, of different ceremonies. And, and if um, there was a time for war, then, then those war chiefs would go, come forward 
And if there was a time when there was not war, then the, the, the peacetime chiefs were the ones that came forward. And so we were always prepared. And, and our, our chiefs were the ones that knew how to make the prayers for, for, for war and the ones for peacetime, which was, you know, livestock, um, weddings, um, births, you know, that puberty ceremonies, um, just, you know, you, you had, um, there was a, a very strong line between war and peace, you know, and so it was understood what those terms meant also and the consequences. And that also, you know, why were they even mining uranium? Why did they come to Indian country? It was because of war. You know, we, we covered a lot of, of behind the scenes and the feeling of before 1492. And I think that's what mainly this was about. And I really like that. And um, most people don't hear this perspective. And I'm glad I'm able to talk to you about it and hear what's really missing from a lot of the dialogue when it comes to protecting our people. But I want to thank you. We're running out of time right now. I'm glad that we could connect, connect that our, you know, our voices. And that's with the Bears Ears um, news story. I, I, w- I had, I was blessed to interview several indigenous leaders and when i'm and i say leaders i mean you know they weren't politicians they weren't elected officials Mm -hmm. and one of them explained how on bear's ears that's where the different indigenous nations would gather there were we had different gathering places for the regional regions and we would talk about what was happening within each region so that we knew and we could help each other and support one another and not be isolated. We were connected back then. And so we were stronger in that way. And we could tell each other, hey, they're coming this way or they're over there, you know, and, you know, our people need to seek refuge with you or, you know, we helped each other out. That's why we're still here. <laughs> uh, thank you for much, so much for this. And maybe we'll talk again soon. I'd like to hear it because it makes me feel like want to be at home, wanted to be at home on a reservation. And uh, I'm sure that's, many people will share that expression. But thank you for being here again, Marley. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Well, thank Liz. She's the one, you know. She's yes. know Liz from way back. Okay, Marley. Thank you Good so lady. much. I'm going at Yeah, um, you know I do a radio show, right? I sure do. Okay, could you give me some ideas of what land acknowledgement is? What land acknowledgement-ish? Yeah. When they say we're on this land. Well, I guess land acknowledgement, what they mean, I think, is uh, uh, just to acknowledge the, the people who were here when they came here. Or somebody visiting, you acknowledge that you are visiting. And that... Uh, the people that live here, you go by their customs and you follow and respect their ways while you are there in their country. That's what it means. That's great. That's a good one. <laughs> How about what they gave us Indigenous Peoples Day? That's everybody in the whole world. It's uh, their day to go back to the beginning when the Creator told us we can live here and told us how we're supposed to behave here. But 99% of the world's people forgot what the Creator said. 
They changed it into man-made things. And now it's messed up the whole world. But the, some of the indigenous people held out, and so they know those yet. So they will become the teachers. Whenever the other part of the world quits their greed and their stinginess and open their ears, it might be too late now, though. It's, it's close to almost too late. Uh, well, maybe it's not too late, but uh, if, if a lot of people dies, that doesn't mean it's late. It just means that they didn't do the right thing, so they die. <laughs> so and so then a few that's left, they get busy, make some babies. That's right. That's good. That's good. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Thank you. With um, have action as a part of it, you know. Like um, I was hearing an elder say, it's a you know they're saying a living land acknowledgement, um, and um, without without action, um, without um, it being alive and being in relationship, it feels like um, it feels hollow. It feels empty. Um, it feels like. Um, just something people do to make themselves feel good. And, um, so what, what about indigenous people say what do you think about that? Um, well, it feels like every day and it feels like um, it's another sometimes like like a little Offering that um, is um, supposed to mean something. Um, but I don't know what it means. It feels like just um, an American holiday almost, you know, like a way of memorializing the things that we think are supposed to be important. But again, it fails in its action. It fails in its like. But it's a start. It's a good place, I think, for, for people, especially indigenous people, to come together with non-indigenous and like talk about the history and talk about um, looking back and um, so same with land acknowledgement it feels like also a good place to start at the very least you know so what if I was to feed you like okay so you acknowledge the land but you're also not talking about your history maybe we should say well the native people were here but also your people came here but do you know your people's history mm. how they got here mm. Mm. and that's probably why they're saying this you know kind of softening the blow a little mm. bit yeah. yeah I think that's 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 a uh, for all of us to be looking at that um, all of our history but especially if you're coming from another background if you're coming from another place and you're doing this acknowledgement it's like well have you looked back and found your own reconciliation or your own joy or your own ceremony your own acknowledgement with the land that you have your ancestors have come from
Before that was World Party with Ship of Fools, and at the break, before the break, was of course the old standby, Mr. Soul by Neil Young out of Buffalo Springfield in his early career. This is Diokas and Ghost Stores, First Voices Radio. (laughs) 